0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Bootstrap Hawaii. This is episode five. My name is Ryan Esaki, and I honestly don't know how this episode is going to turn out. <laughs> I am running on very few hours of sleep. Um, my wife got the flu or something or a really bad cold this week, so I've been in charge of taking care of my kid and you know doing everything for him. He's uh, one, a little bit over the one and a half years old, so he still needs a lot of help doing everyday things, although he did take a pee in the potty for the first time this week, which is Pretty awesome, but um, yeah. So, like I said, not not running in the best optimal situation, but you know, I still got some stuff done uh, more than I was afraid I was gonna get done. I think this podcast is really helping me make sure that I'm actually still trying to get things done every week. Because maybe if I didn't have it, I might have just take a took a week off and just take care of family business. But I still got some interviews done. Um, oh, before all that, I just wanted to thank everybody who's tuning in now because um, Jason. Uh, my, my buddy Jason over at Aloha, uh, Aloha Startups and a really great guy, I, he, he wrote about me and uh, this podcast in his blog. And so um, if you're tuning in from that, uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, be prepared to be sorely disappointed because Jason makes it sound like I'm some kind of genius entrepreneur, but I'm really not. If you listen to any of the prior episodes, you, you can see like I'm figuring this thing out as we go to. Um, but anyways, yeah. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah, yeah. so so um, I got, let's see, three or four teacher interviews done and one more student interview. The, the student interview is funny because he was, I got him off of our lesson underground mailing list, which is only really advertised to ukulele underground students. And um, when I was talking to him on the phone, I was like, you know, have you ever checked out like, ukulele underground? And he's like, no, no, I haven't. And so it was one of those situations where like, I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed that you somehow found your way onto this mailing list that was only marketed to ukulele underground members, but he was on it, and I talked to him on the phone or on Skype for you know fifteen, fifteen, twenty minutes. And um, this was really interesting. That I thought that was funny, but you know, same story. He has the same story. The student interviews are sounding sounding pretty much the same. Um, so what I was trying to focus on this week was teacher interviews. I had one teacher interview that got rescheduled till next week. I really wanted to talk to that person because she sounded like someone um, who um, you know wasn't directly under our sphere of influence for Ukulandrian, um a lot of the current teachers we had now were past students of ours and she kind of seems like maybe not the case so i really want to talk to her and get interested in i was really interested in what she had to say but i guess what i can talk about today is like where the teacher interviews went um like i said last week the teacher like the, the feedback until last week was still all over the place as far as what teachers wanted because different teachers who are at different levels in their careers teaching careers wanted different things um, and so, uh, it kind of stabilized a little bit as far as similar things started coming up with these three interviews. I still need to do a little bit more, but, um, I guess I'll get into that later, what I plan to do next week a little bit later. So the, the general gist of it is, you know, like the teachers just more for the most part wanted to tell me what they didn't like about the current platform, which is great. But towards the end of the, the interviews, the, the calls, I was kind of like, yeah, I already, I already know like I said, you know, you, you'll you begin to know what the person's going to say. Like, I already knew what the teacher's going to say that they didn't like about it. But the cool thing was um, that the teachers and the students really seem like they want the same thing, which is, you know, they want a long-term relationship with the teacher to help them through whatever thing that they're on. And the, the teachers especially were not interested in doing these one-off lessons that Lesson Underground was kind of designed to build, be built around originally. And so... It basically kind of we've kind of confirmed or i've kind of confirmed you know my my thesis as far as like talking to these people what people want what's the most valuable thing we can provide for them and so what i think i'm going to start doing next week is i'm going to start uh for first of all, I have to revamp our landing page to really make it clear and communicate clearly very clearly what exactly lesson underground is going to be doing which is almost like um Like just like a concierge service for someone who's looking to find a a music teacher or like a headhunting service or like I I don't know, I'm not sure what um, verbiage we're gonna use for the the communication of the idea, but you know, it's kinda something along those lines, matchmaking service or something. But basically you tell us what you want, we have a bunch of teachers who, you know, we have on our database and we can kind of match you with someone who we think would be a really good fit for you based upon like our experience working with them and and things like that. So, what I'm going to work on this week is basically getting a new landing page kind of worked up. I'm this I don't want to spend too much money on it, so I'm not going to probably I'm probably not going to hire a designer to do it. I, I might look at like themeforest.net for like a WordPress theme, like a landing page theme. Maybe I maybe I might use lead pages. I'm not sure what exactly I'm going to do with that, but it's basically just I just need to get a new landing page up that clearly identifies what our services, clearly communicates that And also, I need to put on that landing page the form that we're going to use, a a beta version of the form. The form itself, I need to work on and really fine-tune that. But uh, the general idea of the form is, you know, the student gets to fill out, you know, their skill level, what price range they're looking for in a teacher, um, what they're looking to learn, what their goals are as a student, you know. And um, basically, just a form that gets the student to give us as much information as possible where the teacher can give them, like, a really concise plan of how they're going to ap- approach their issue and helping them work through their problems. And so this is basically leading up to, like, our first very MVP version of MVP. Basically, like I said before, I say it. You know what? This, the funny thing is, doing this podcast, I realize how much I say the word basically. It's kind of like my crutch word. So I'm going to consciously try to stop saying that word. If you... Um, or you can make like some kind of drinking game out of this. If I say basically in the future, you just take a shot or something or don't, I mean, if you're uh, uh, not of legal drinking age, drink soda or water or whatever, but you know, not the B word. I'm not, I'm going to try not to say that anymore. But anyways, I digress as usual. Um, Please forgive me for my lack of sleep. Uh, This, this MVP is, is going to be, you know, the way a true MVP should be. And this is something that I think maybe people who are new to the business and they kind of read like the Lean Startup or, you know, Eric Reese's book, or they kinda of watch some videos by like some, some people. They like, oh yeah, MVP. Or maybe they watch Silicon Valley, the T V show. You know, I, I this is another digression, but I watched the first episode of Silicon Valley this past week or last week. And I, I don't think if, I don't know if I can watch any of the other episodes because it kinda of hit a little bit too close to home as far as like I'm really afraid that I'm gonna show up on that show somewhere, <laughs> you know, like someone that's exactly like my personality and my character archetype. So I'm kind of afraid of watching it. But my my partners and my the people that work at Hulu are like, Ryan, you're the one who you're the one person in this company that should be watching that show because you're gonna understand it the most. But I'm so afraid to watch it anymore because I really don't want to see myself on the screen like a parody of myself. You know, like if you watched How I Met Your Mother, where there was like that wedding guy. Or Ted Schmosby was like the wedding guy. Anyways, so the MVP is uh, it's basically like I said. It, I said basically again. I'm sorry. It's 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 the least you can do to 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 test your hypothesis, and uh, it's uh, it's spelled out pretty clearly in the Lean Startup, and uh, other people talk about it too. But I think a lot of people get it confused where they think oh, I was like, oh, what can I but what, what can I build to test it? It's not really building anything. This is how I'm going to run this MVP. It's gonna be all done through emails. And it's basically gonna have an email form and then people are gonna use the email form and I'm gonna have a manual list of teachers in like Google spreadsheet or something. And I'm just gonna like look at what comes in and then match them to that. And I'm gonna email the person and then the teacher's gonna email me back and I'm gonna email that back to the student and I'm just gonna be emailing. And that's, that's, that's like what an MVP looks like or that's what an MVP should look like. You know? If you're gonna test something, you don't need to spend a lot of money. Uh, I'm probably gonna spend uh, on this MVP at most 100 bucks, I think, because I'm not gonna hire anybody to do anything. I know enough to do a custom WordPress thing or like alter a WordPress theme. I haven't programmed anything from scratch in like a decade, probably, where I used to do lamp stack stuff. But you know, I, I can I can get around a WordPress theme and I can set it up to what I want it to look like. So this is what it's gonna be like. It's it's all email. Probably gonna be all email. And any kind of billing, I'm just gonna bill them through PayPal or, Square, or not Squarespace, um, Square, or something like that. It's just gonna be really, really bare bones, all manual process. Because if, I was telling, this is what I was telling one of the teachers today, you know, I was like, yeah, we spent like 50 grand on this, this site that, you know, and he's like, oh, that's a bummer. I was like, yeah, it's a bummer, but what's a, what's a bigger bummer than spending 50 grand is having a website that nobody's using, you know? Like I, I'd much rather have, my phone is ringing, oh my gosh. I'd much rather have a working idea than, than a website, because a website, no matter how much money you spend on it, if nobody's using it, it's not a business, you know, it's just a website, and anybody can make a website. You don't need to spend a lot of money to make a website, so um, I'm just really trying to make this this service as useful as possible, and then we can figure out the automation later. If we can get a manual process going, where you know we can hash out the details for this this the way that this thing should work. You know, it's really easy to automate things, you know, and and maybe we'll f- we'll come into thing, you know, where it's not really easy to automate certain things, something still need a human to kind of discern. Well that we can still figure out a way to, to to scale that a little bit easier. But we can automate as much as we can with software once we figure out how to correctly tackle this problem. So that's what I'm planning to do this week. Um, Yeah, and uh, this might be a really short episode. Oh, but I guess I can talk about a few other things. Um, It kind of goes back to, you know, my wife being sick and not having as much time as as I want to. And also, you know, like I said, that my ukulele underground team was in California last week, so I was kind of at home alone for ukulele underground. So I was taking care of that. And I'm still running like ukulele underground. Like we're still, I'm still working there. Like I still go to the office. You know, most of the week I'm there, and then I just work on lesson underground. Kind of, well, since like I own ukulele underground with my partners, I can work on lesson underground there. But you know, I I uh I work kind of a lesson underground as like a part time thing, you know, like after hours or like on my days off. But granted, I don't, I'm not at the ukulele underground office five days a week. I'm there like four and a half days a week. So I kind of work on lesson underground, you know, when I have free time, the weekends or in nights and evenings, or when the small gap when my son is at my in-laws and my wife's still at work, I get some stuff done, but you know, the idea of, I think Gary Vaynerchuk came up, uh, he, he came up with this saying It's like, or anything is better than nothing, you know, like, and this is an approach that I've had since the beginning of ukulele underground, because actually Gary Vaynerchuk was a huge influence on why we started ukulele underground, where, you know, I, I talked about Thud Rumble in a past episode and how they kind of inspired, you know, like the idea that, a that a niche instrument like the ukulele could could have legs and could support people in in a business. But Gary Vaynerchuk was, well, I didn't know anything about him. I just knew that he was some guy who talked about wine in video form. And I was like, we can talk about ukuleles in video form. I didn't know he was already like a, you know, like a multimillionaire, very successful retail business person who had cash flow coming in and revenue coming in from like a very successful brick and mortar business. I didn't know that. I just, I just, uh, we just did hey there's some guy in new jersey making wine videos i didn't know anything about wine either so i was like new jersey sounds far away from france and and, uh napa valley in california so if man shit if he can do this kind of stuff and have success little did i know he's making most of his money from his retail business and not from making videos on the internet uh like that's kind of how we got the impetus to start uh ukulele underground and you know i talked about all the other stuff i think i did anyways but uh Talked about all this stuff, but that's kind of like what was the, one of the things that kind of led to it. And it's kind of funny because a lot of times the, what you don't know, the naivete is kind of a really huge tool for you if you don't know what you're doing because you don't know what's impossible yet. I, I, I tell this story quite a, quite a bit when to my friends or whoever, whoever will listen to me yap on for hours. Um, when we were gigging in high school as a professional musician, there was this one song, it's called G Minor Fleas, it's by Herb Bota Jr. It's an ukulele instrumental song, and we made our we made our bread and butter was like the fact that we we're like young kids that could like play pretty impressive songs on the ukulele. Because if you're playing for tourists, most tourists have never seen someone like really shred on the ukulele, and we you know we, we could do that. Like I couldn't shred. I like I said, I was never a really good musician. I just put myself into situations where I was always around really good musicians, and so my friends could play these songs. But there's there's this one song called G Minor Fleas, and it has this intro where it was it's something like but it has like a harmony it's like the picking the picking notes are the notes that he picks are harmonized and uh, my friend would always be like, oh man, I don't know how he does this like it's so hard like to, you, he's like you have to play like two like harmoni- harmonizing notes at the same time for every single note he's playing. But my friend just kept hammering away at it and kept trying to play this thing where it's like, and he eventually got it. Like he could play the two notes on one ukulele at the same time. So it was like, (laughs) but like harmonized with one uke. And um, he taught it to my friend, Audreen, who's the, the, um, I don't know, Audreen claims that he came up with it, but I'm pretty sure it was my friend Mark that came up with it. They can they can debate about who came up with it before because Aldrin also said that he discovered Jason Mraz in 2005, which is impossible because I was listening to him in college. But anyways, uh, like they did this. Uh, he my friends they who it was they figured out how to do this riff this harmonizing riff on one fretboard with playing two notes and it's extremely difficult. You know, like even really good ukulele players can have a hard time doing it. And we were high school kids and we figured out they figured out how to do it. I like to take credit of all these things because I was there, but I actually just my, if you want to know my full musical background, in my senior year in high school, my, I started hang, playing hockey with some of them. I haven't played hockey for a long time, but I started playing inline hockey with some of these guys. And they are also into like, playing music. And, and he's like, hey, why don't we start a band? And I had never played guitar before. And I said, like, that sounds like a great idea. So I just picked up a guitar. My brother had started playing guitar before me. So I just borrowed his guitar. And I taught myself how to play guitar in like three months. Where I, and it wasn't like great. I could like, barely strum... I couldn't hold a lot of the chords, but I figured out um, if I just held bar chords. But if you don't play guitar, bar chords are... This is a huge digression. This is what happens when I'm tired. But anyways, bar chords are chords you can hold on any kind of stringed instrument, guitar, ukulele, bass, uh, not bass, guitar, ukulele, ma- um, mandolin, probably. Like They're chords that you can hold that retain the same shape, but if you move them up and down the fretboard, they, they play different chords. And so in, on guitar, you could technically play any song if you learn i mean not any song but you could play like pop songs almost any pop song it will sound like shit but you could play it by learning three bar chord shapes or four bar chord shapes you learn the the C bar chord shape the F bar chord shape the the B minor bar chord shape and the A g minor a minor or slash or whatever g minor bar chord shape and you just slide those fuckers up and down the fretboard and you can play like any song like technically so that's what i did i i learned how to play (laughs) the bar chords and i would and i started gigging with my friends sounding fucking terrible on the guitar but you know like i did it i didn't know and i would sometimes would be like hey i i learned that I, i created this new this new strumming technique and it would be fucking the most terrible strumming technique and my friends would be like nice to me like oh that's nice but you should just strum it like regular but i was literally gigging in three months after learning how to play guitar holding like these bar chords and and that's not how you play guitar you don't you don't play bar chords and switch bar chords and go up and down but i thought it was such a cool uh, cool thing you know you can play guitar and like this is all it takes and kind of like figuring that out kind of like influenced the rest of my life there's some other things in music i think i should dedicate episode of a how music being in a band not like marching band or school band like but being in a band and I've heard this from other entrepreneurs who are also in bands. It's like one of the best things you can do to become an entrepreneur because it teaches you so much stuff. But anyways, aside from the huge digression where I went into my, my embarrassing musical career, uh, eventually I did learn how to play guitar properly. But anyways, like I said, my friends figured out how to do this thing with, their, with these harmonizing notes. And come to find out like years and years later, after we were playing with like that for like years and years, we watched Herb Ota Jr. Like, I think YouTube finally came out and someone p- put a video of U- Herbota Jr. playing G minor fleas on YouTube. And I were like, holy shit. He did it in the studio. Like he didn't even play those harmonizing notes on one ukulele. Like, he did the f- one note run, with w- the run with one note. And, he, then, and then he went back into the studio and he laid another track and he played the harmony notes, right? Which makes a lot of sense. That's how you should do it because who's dumb enough to try to do it at the same time, you know, but that's, I always think about that when I think about, you know, sometimes, I mean, that experience, I, I laugh about it now, but like that experience, like, you know, thinking about that and how, you know, not knowing that something was impossible makes things possible sometimes. And the same goes for Ukulele Underground, you know, not knowing that Gary Vaynerchuk had this, you know, successful retail wine business and he was just doing Wine Library TV to market his wine, li- wine library not knowing that made me think it was possible to make money making ukulele videos on the internet, which is ridiculous, like it's so stupid, but it worked because we didn't know it was impossible. Um, and so that's why, it's funny, I always tell people like, it was a ter- it's a terrible idea, and they're like, oh, you know, it worked out pretty good. I was like, yeah, but it was a terrible idea. And um, that's kind of one of the ideas I wanted to share with you today is that you know if you feel like you don't know enough about starting an online business, one, you're going to listen to this podcast should help you because at least you'll learn what not to do. And maybe if we can get lesson underground to work, you can see one thing that does work. But anyways, uh, yeah, if you sometimes not knowing what's impossible, is like the best thing you can have. And so if you feel like you don't know enough, that's great. You know, uh, you can always learn things as you need to go. And, and sometimes when you don't know what you're doing, it's the best, you know, there's things that I look back on that we did just intuitively because we didn't know how, any other way to do it and it, it worked out so much better than if I had learned it something from a book and tried to do it that way which is why I always tell people and I'm sorry if anybody's teaching business class and plays this in a business class or is taking majoring in business but business in college is full of crap man like they don't teach you anything that's practical it's so I mean I teach you how to, they might teach you how to be like a manager at a business which is, might be really good because don't get me wrong being like number two at Facebook, it was probably like a pretty damn good, you know, Paul, what what was this guy's name? What was was that guy's name at Microsoft where, Steve Ballmer, he, he was never an entrepreneur. He was an employee at Microsoft who became, you know, extremely successful and wealthy. So you don't need to start a company, but you know. Anyways, you don't need, sometimes not knowing what's impossible is really a really good benefit, and so keep that in mind. And also the second thing is, you know, I forgot where I went with this, but you know, anything, the concept of Gary Vaynerchuk, geez, I got that from what the, I got to there from what I was originally going to say Well, Gary Vaynerchuk. This is my original point that I wanted to make. Gary Vaynerchuk has a saying where anything is better than nothing. You know, like if you can get, you know, and I, and I talked to some people this week and like I'm explaining to them, like, you know, lesson underground didn't work. We're going back or retooling everything. We're, we're pretty much just throwing away what we had. And, um, this is what it takes, you know, like you're you're bringing in you're reeling in one fish at a time, and that's what it's gonna take initially to get this thing going. And it's what we did for ukulele on the ground too. We reeled in one fish at a time until the fish started telling the other fish to jump onto our boat. And so that's that's nothing that that that's nothing in fact that excites me because like that's easy. Like getting one fish at a time, if you know how to like convince people or sell or write good copy, and you can learn all of these things. Like entrepreneurship is not a talent, it's a skill that you learn through practice. It's like anything. Like I'm learning how to speak uh, Japanese now, and I've always wanted to learn how to speak a foreign language. And this this confluence of a shitty year in 2014, which put me into the mindset where I felt like it was possible, made it possible. And now I can have like a 20-minute conversation in Japanese. Uh, that's like it's, it's it's language, and like it it really illustrated to me, like you know, we teach music as a, for a living. Um, but, you know, learning anything, including learning how to build a business, is just something that you, it's just a skill. And how you build skill is you show up every day and you, you work at it every day. And it's okay to be crappy at it in the beginning because nobody expects you to be good. In fact, if you're, I gave a talk, we're not a talk, we did a career fair, um, a virtual career fair where we Skyped into like this high school in, in uh, Cupertino. One of the cool Underground members we have uh, is a teacher there. And the high, school is, the high school has alumni like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, went to that high school. And stuff so it's like, why the hell are we talking at this place? This is like, you know, there's much more qualified people. But, you know, like, uh, yeah, like I was telling those kids, like, don't be afraid of making mistakes. You're so young. Like, I started looking around when I was 25, and I felt so old, and I felt so embarrassed that I had all these failed businesses because I had started doing, creating my businesses when I was 23. Like, I had a, I first wanted to make, um, my first business I did was something called Island Music Network, which is up in a different form, by the way, now. Like, it's a tab site, but that was kind of, like, my first business, and then I did, like, if that didn't work out at all, because I didn't know anything, I wasted a bunch of money. Uh, My grandma gave me, like, $5,000 to start a business. I just blew it all. But it's all, like, learning experiences, and I had, like, a web design firm that I didn't really run very well, and I had um, an online store with... um, Oh, that's so like Hawaii products, mostly like Hawaii CDs. Like iTunes wasn't really taking off yet. Actually iTunes was around. I was using iTunes, but people still bought CDs for some reason, especially Hawaiian CDs. So like we had like an online store with my other friend and that actually would have worked if we just kept going at it. But, you know, we shut it down and I did like some other things, random ideas, t-shirt business, all kind of things. You know, all these things fail. And, I, and when we started Cool Underground when I was 25, I felt like such a failure in my because all I had done in my adult life was fail and I didn't make any money. And I felt so old at 25, like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Like, what am I trying to do again? What am I trying to start another business? Like, I'm so old already. Like, what am I even doing? And I'm looking back now, I'm 34. That was almost 25 years, tw- almost 10 years ago now because I'm going to, be- I just turned 34 on Monday. And I'm like, I was so young then, I could have failed for like another, well, you know, Ukulele ground did fail for another couple of years, floundered. It, the only difference between Ukulele ground and any other businesses that I had is that I didn't give up on Ukulele ground because of the fact that I felt old and I felt if I didn't get Ukulele Underground to work, I would, I don't know where I'd been. Maybe I would have just jumped off a cliff or something or been like um, uh, just a like recluse in my parents' house or something, like, but anyways, like. I felt so old, but I was so young then. And there's like no downside. Like I could honestly like failed two or three more times. And then maybe when I hit 30, maybe ah, maybe I should get a job doing something. But there's like so little downside to bootstrapping and failing because you, you'll learn a lot and you can just start again. Now, fun, taking funding and failing is a little bit different. I mean, the I think that I think the common idea right now, because money is so loose and even in Hawaii, there's, like, so much cash flying around where it's, like, ridiculous because, you know, that's... I I really don't want to get into it because it's just going to make me a lot of enemies, but um, if you take money from somebody, I think a lot of young, really, really young entrepreneurs, they see, you know, they watch the Social Network movie and then they watch, you know, they see, they read Forbes magazine and they see, like, all these, like, unicorns hitting it big, like Aaron Levy at box.box.whatevercom or whatever, he... IPO before he was 30, he's like a billionaire and you know, like all these companies, it's, it's but they don't realize that for every one of these companies, for first of all, for every one of these companies that make it, there's like a billion, or not billion, tens of thousands, hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of companies that don't go anywhere. You know, like there's hundreds of thousands of companies that like less than underground is right now that took funding. So say we took funding, we took funding to build it to where it was and it just fucking failed, like it did, you know, like it didn't work, you know, and we did, and say we were, say I was like an an experienced entrepreneur, where I didn't know what the next steps were, and I, and I took dumb money, or not, I had dumb money is like the best way I describe it, but you know, like money from people who aren't connected, can't leverage their connections to help me grow my business, can't bring value with their expertise, if you, if, say I had, took money from those kind of people, and I just wasted it all, and I don't know what I'm doing because I'm an inexperienced entrepreneur. None of my board of directors are experienced in building my type of business and scaling my type of business, finding product market fit. You know, that sucks for everybody involved. And uh, I know, I mean, I mean, maybe in Silicon Valley, it's like it's like, oh yeah, you know, you learn from that, you try again, and get funding. But I don't. I think if you take money and you lose people's money, people are going to remember that. You know. Especially if you did it in a way where it was blatantly obvious that you one didn't know what you're doing and two that you don't own up to the fact that you don't know what you're doing and you wasted their money they're not gonna they're not gonna give you a second chance maybe you can go find someone else who's dumber than those people that gave you money and but but that's not the way that I feel like you should do which is why I'm like a really big believer in bootstrapping business i'm not I'm not against funding at all. Like, I've had friends that, that have taken funding, and then some of them had success, some of them haven't had success. It's just another way of doing business in it. But, but to me, if you want to do the funding route, and you're from Hawaii, get your ass out of fucking Hawaii. Go to, go to a place that has the things that will make funding successful. Give you the best shot of making it with funding. You know, like San Francisco, New York. Someplace that you could find, like, uh, investors that can really help you grow your idea and stuff. I don't think we have that yet in Hawaii. And I know people in Hawaii are trying. And it's not a knock on them. Like, I want to make that clear. Like It's not a knock on anybody in Hawaii who's trying to stimulate the, the startup ecosystem through funding. It's not a knock on them. It's just that our ecosystem is not there yet. And I'm not sure if injecting money, like I, I said in a previous episode, injecting money is like usually like an intellectually lazy way of solving a problem. And I think that goes for the problem of the startup ecosystem in Hawaii too. And so if, if you went to the funding route and you're in Hawaii, get your ass to San Francisco. You know, there's people in San Francisco who are from Hawaii who are having success and you just find those people and they'll probably introduce you to a bunch of people and uh, you go from there. And you, when, you, when you make millions of dollars with your exit, you come back to Hawaii, then you help the startup ecosystem. Um, from that, from that point of view and use your connections and leverage your connections to help kids in Hawaii. But until then, until that happens, you're stuck with the, you're not stuck with me, you know, just, you can, you have the option to come along with me, I guess, and try it this way too because there's so little downside to this, especially if you're in your 20s, there's so little downside. Anyways, I rambled for way too long. Like I said, I'm sorry, I apologize for this episode. Like, I'm running on so little sleep and hopefully next week it'll be more structured but uh, I don't know, I had, I had a lot of fun just rambling, because I like to ramble. Anyways, I'll see you, uh, wait, there was some, one other thing I wanted to talk about. Did I write any notes for this episode? No, I didn't. So, anyways, I, uh, that was off the top of my head. As always, I'll see you guys next week. Um, keep hustling. I don't have a catchphrase. See you next week.